Well, good morning, uh, Christ City gathered around the city of Vancouver, uh, wherever you are, in your home, in your apartment, wherever you find yourself this morning. My name is Jake. I'm part of the team at Christ City East Vancouver, and it is my joy this morning uh, to be preaching to you as we continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, with your Bibles open, let's read Matthew 6, 16 and 18 together. Jesus says there, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. And truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Our text this morning on fasting comes to us in this section surrounding the religious life of a follower of Jesus. What sort of rhythms, what sort of practices they should have. We've looked at giving to the needy. We've looked at prayer. And now this morning we're looking at fasting. And before you're tempted to turn off the video, because what could be more irrelevant than a sermon on fasting in the midst of a coronavirus... Let me suggest to you that this morning, what Jesus wants to speak to us is perhaps really timely, uh, very relevant to our current situation. If you're taking notes at home, here's the outline I want us to walk through as we look at this text. First, we're going to ask, why do we fast? Why do we fast? Second, we'll ask, what's our reward in fasting? And thirdly and finally, we'll ask the question, how is your secret place? So why do we fast? What's our reward? And, and how is your secret place? So firstly, why do we fast? You know, fasting, which has historically meant abstaining from food, is one of those weird things in history where we don't exactly know where it came from. Fasting has played a role in almost all major world religions. Uh, in medicine and ancient practices, we see fasting in all sorts of ancient documents. Uh, further, some of you right now maybe participate in fasting for its health benefits, those intermittent fasters out there. Uh, maybe even if you grew up or still uh, participate in the church calendar, you know right now we're in a season of Lent, a season typically marked by fasting as we come to Easter, this celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. So the question, why do we fast, needs to be asked a little bit more specifically. Specifically, why do we as Christians fast? And here's the answer I want to suggest to us this morning. We fast, indeed the Bible teaches that we fast in order to remind ourselves of our great need and God's great power. And let me say that again for us. We fast, we practice this discipline in order to remind ourselves of our great need and God's great power. I love how the discipline of fasting comes immediately on the heels of the Lord's Prayer. And do you remember how Jesus taught the disciples to pray last week? He said this in Matthew 6, 9-10, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Things are not how they should be. And you don't need me to remind you of that. We live in a broken, fractured world. So we're instructed to pray boldly that what is true in heaven would become true here on earth, would infiltrate, impact, come into our earthly reality. 
What's interesting then is as we examine fasting throughout the Bible, is that you begin to notice that fasting happens typically in response to some great injustice, some great tragedy, not even the death of a person. L- let me give you one example. In the book of Judges, which we find in the Old Testament, we find that for the nation of Israel, things are spiraling out of control. It's gotten so bad that tribe is fighting against tribe. There's infighting in the family of God. This nation, which was supposed to be a blessing to the surrounding nations, is now killing each other. And after one battle, one particularly bad battle, where 18,000 Israelites are killed, we're told that Israel responds by doing this. Look at Judges 20, verses 26 with me. Then all the people of Israel, the whole army, went up and came to Bethel and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Something is broken. Things are not how they should be. Again, this people created to be a unified blessing, killing each other in mass. Later on in Israel's history, when the great King David is asked why he fasted for his dying child, he responds like this in 2 Samuel 12. Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. David, Israel, both were in need, and they were needing God to act in power in some way, shape, or form, either to unify a fractured nation or to raise a child from the dead. They were in need. They needed a display of God's great power. So at the heart of fasting, let me say it, is a complete rejection of self-reliance and a confession of utter neediness. I wonder, in a season of enormous superstore lineups, where people are hoarding food, where you and your neighbor are all feeling maybe a bit anxious and fearful, where our great need has been exposed, I wonder if this is not potentially a season where we fast. Where we fast from food, or we fast from Netflix, where we fast from whatever it is. Fasting doesn't just have to happen with food. Now, I have this impulse as a husband and a dad in this time, and maybe you can relate to this as a parent, to throw everything on my shoulders and to think that it's up to me to protect my wife and protect my kids. And if I just do more research, I just try a little harder, I'm a bit more vigilant, then I can keep them safe, then I can keep my my whole world intact. If only I, if I, if I, if I. But what if it's not up to me? What if it's not up to us? What if I and you are desperately needy people, needing God to move in power in our age? Now, I'm not saying we act unwisely. I'm not suggesting we bury our head in the sand. But I would guess, because this has been true of me, that we have spent more time this past week scouring the news searching the web, even researching property in remote places in northern BC, we've probably spent more time doing those things than we have on our knees in prayer and fasting. We've tried to control it, and I've tried to control it. See, fasting exposes our neediness because it exposes what controls us. 
What has power over us? Now, Richard Foster, in his classic book on spiritual disciplines, writes this. More than any other discipline, fasting reveals the thing that controls us. And this is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We cover up what is inside of us with food and other things. Fasting is a discipline. It's an act that reminds us of our need. And and notice in our text that that's not why the hypocrites fasted. Jesus said plainly in Matthew 6, verse 16, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. And here's the reason. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. See, they sound the trumpet when they give, and they stand on street corners and in synagogues when they pray. And and now we read they go about unwashed, unkept, with gloomy faces to indicate their fasting, all for one reason and for one purpose, to be seen, praised, and celebrated by others. And as it was with giving to the needy and with prayer, so too have these hypocrites, these play actors, received their reward. Again, uncomfortably, this is the language of judgment. They've received their reward, and your translation might say, they've received their reward in full, meaning there is no eternal reward waiting for them. Which leads us to point two. What is our reward? What is our reward? For those of us who want to pursue our Father wholeheartedly in fasting, what is our reward? Well, let's go back to our text together. Matthew 6, verse 17 to 18. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is telling his followers that when you fast, you should act normally. Do what you normally do. And hopefully what you normally do is is take a shower and and put on clean clothes and and wear deodorant, right? Especially when you're in closed, confined spaces during self-isolation. Wear deodorant, right? Your family will thank me for this later. See, ultimately, it's not about other people. It's about our wholehearted, undivided attention to our Father who loves us. And just as it was with prayer, we learn that it's only in the place of undivided attention, where there is no ulterior motive, that that is where our Father is. Jesus said that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, or by your Father who is in that secret place. Uh, Again, the the point here is not that if someone finds out about your fasting, your fasting is now null and void. That's not the point. The the point is, what is your deep-down intention for fasting? What is the heart motive uh, spurring your fasting on? Because our Father loves to reward us when our intention, when our desire is Him. So what's our reward? What's our reward? 
Well, keeping in step with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, we know that this reward is a reward to come. It's a future reward. As Brett talked about last week, it's an eschatological thing. This is something happening in the future at the return of Jesus. But we also know, again, keeping in step with the Sermon on the Mount, that there is reward to be had now. There is joy to be had now. There is life to be had now, experienced today. So I want to answer the question, what's our reward, by saying this, and I'll put it up on the screen for you to read. Our reward for abstaining from earthly things for a period of time, and that can be food, that can be entertainment, even sex if you're married, our reward for abstaining from earthly things for a period of time is an increased appetite for heavenly things. John Piper, in his book on fasting called A Hunger for God, uh, he talks about fasting in two ways. First, he says, and we've talked about this, first, fasting acknowledges our need. Uh, Piper talks about it exposing our homesickness, that you and I were not made for this earth. We were made for a, a new earth, a redeemed creation. But the second way he talks about fasting is he says we fast to fight for the higher hunger that isn't. I love that phrase, to fight for the higher hunger that isn't. A hunger, he says, for heavenly things. He continues to say this. Christian fasting is not only the spontaneous effect of a superior satisfaction in God, It is also a chosen weapon against every force in the world that would take that satisfaction away. Fasting, in other words, is spiritual warfare. Fasting is this tool that we've been given, this rhythm, whatever you want to say, this discipline that we've been given to rediscover, to grow, and to keep our love and enjoyment in Jesus. Our love and enjoyment in the Father. Just like the secret prayer closet, the secret place of fasting is a rich storehouse where we find everything we need now and forever. So, and this is point three, how is your secret place? Now that might sound like a strange question to ask, so let me explain. Remember, the secret place Jesus is speaking of in Matthew 6 It can be a literal prayer room. Some of you have those. But it can also exist in the midst of a chaotic home filled with children who haven't gone outside in a while, who perhaps are now home for the rest of the year because schools are canceled. Our secret place, then, is the place of relationship with our Father. That's it. The place where we meet with the Father who loves us. The place where no one is looking, no one is watching. It's just you and him. For many of us, this pandemic has forced us to come face to face with our own individual relationship with our Heavenly Father. We've been forced, so to speak, into that secret place, into that secret room where only he is. Now that religious activities are suspended for a period of time, Well, how will you know that he actually loves you if you don't do anything? And now that there's no big Sunday morning gathering for you to do your religious acts before other people, how will you know if he actually approves of you? 
It's just you and him. And maybe, after all the noise and activity has been stripped away, you've found that you really don't have a relationship with your father. Or it's not quite as strong as you thought it was. Marilyn Robinson, one of the great writers of our time, she, she, she once wrote that the spirit of our age appears to be one of joyless urgency. Joyless urgency. I think this is true for many Christians as well. Urgency gone, the busyness gone, our schedules now cleared, we, we find that what remains is a lot of joylessness, a deep unsettledness. Let me end today with an invitation as we conclude this particular section of the Sermon on the Mount, and it's very, very simple. Go to your Father who is in that secret place. Go to your Father who is waiting for you, who doesn't ask you to do all these things and then you could come. No, go to your Father covered in the righteousness, in the goodness, in the obedience of his Son, Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're listening this morning, Coming to your Father is a simple matter of confessing your need. I can't do this on my own. And confessing his great power to do it. His great power to save you. His great power to intervene into your joyless urgency and draw you into deep and intimate fellowship with him. It is through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that a way has been made for us to come to our Father who loves us in giving, in prayer, and even in fasting, that we may know and enjoy the reward that is him, both now and forever. Let me pray. Father, we ask that you would glorify yourself as Christ's city gathers now scattered around the city, that you would do a mighty work for your namesake, that you would strengthen the believers who are wavering, who are wobbling this morning, that they might walk faithfully with you. Send your spirit now, we pray, in the name of Jesus, your son, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.